Welcome to Healthcare Beat, a healthcare podcast brought to you by Cypress Shaw's cross-disciplinary healthcare team. Each beat will focus on key industry trends and the latest developments while identifying practical takeaways for those in this space. I'm Adam Lawton, partner in Cypress Corporate Department and host of Healthcare Beat. Let's jump in. Today, we continue our special series focused on CIFAR's recently released publication, The Future of Healthcare in the United States, What a Post-Pandemic Healthcare System Could Look Like. As listeners may know, this is the second edition of our Healthcare Group's signature piece and provides updates and insights into what the post-pandemic world may look like for the healthcare industry. If you haven't seen a copy yet, be sure to reach out. I'm joined today by Jesse Coleman and Drew Delhunko, colleagues in Cyprus Houston office and co-authors of Chapter 3 of our treatise titled, The PrEP Act, An Anticipated Impact on COVID-Related Tort and Contract Litigation. Jesse and Drew, welcome to Healthcare Beat Series on the Future of Healthcare in the United States. Thank you, Adam. Thank you very much for having us. Jesse and Drew, maybe the right place to start is if you could give us a brief summary of the chapter that you wrote. Sure. So the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparation Act is a dramatic and wide-ranging grant of liability and suit immunity to private entities that the government has enlisted in the battle against COVID-19. And our chapter largely focuses on the interpretation of that act, both from the courts and from the Health and Human Services in various amendments and advisory opinions that they've issued and the clash that we've seen between those two interpretations. The PREP Act itself protects and provides federal immunity for claims that are either in tort or contract, as well as claims for loss relating to compliance with local, state, or federal laws or other legal requirements that are in conflict with the act. Essentially what it does is it provides federal immunity to a covered person with respect to claims relating to the authorized administration of a covered countermeasure. If the terms or the elements of the statute are met, it makes that individual immune from, as I said, suit and liability under federal and state law with respect to all claims for loss arising out of, relating to, caused by, or resulting from the administration to, or the use by an individual of a covered countermeasure. Now, of course, with any federal statute, there's a host of defined terms in what I just said in in the definitions of the statute. And so you have questions as to what a covered person is, what a covered countermeasure is. And for purposes of our discussion here, we can say that covered countermeasures, of course, do include the vaccine, but they also include as the beginning of COVID, this, this came out in the beginning of COVID, This also included uh, recognized respirators. This included other treatments. This included other actions that were taken by individuals pursuant to emergency use authorization of the FDA. And what it ultimately did is it provided a covering immunity for those actions. What we've seen, however, is that the courts have been very reluctant to recognize the immunities that are in this statute. They have interpreted it very narrowly. Where we've seen the defense of the PREP Act raised primarily is within the nursing home and the assisted living communities, where, as we saw at the beginning of the pandemic, 
a large portion of the deaths stemming from COVID-19 were occurring. And in those cases, the courts declined to recognize the PREP Act. They declined to recognize the actions of these nursing home facilities, these assisted living and, and senior facilities, as being covered countermeasures. And we saw large arguments arising out whether non-use of covered countermeasures would count if they were part of an overall program. And HHS, Health and Human Services, came down actually in favor of seeing the PREP Act's coverage in those cases. And the courts found against that. They, they didn't find HHS's advisory opinions to be persuasive or binding on them. And so what we've ultimately seen here is we've seen an honor of the PREP Act in the breach. In other words, we've seen courts recognize it raised as a defense, but they haven't recognized its application. They've declined to recognize federal preemptive jurisdiction over the claims. And so what we're left with largely here is a statute that has not provided the remedies that at least the executive branch of the federal government anticipated that it would during the pandemic. Drew, do you have any follow-up thoughts or comments on that? Yeah, I mean, just to underscore the wide gulf between the executive branch and the judiciary, I just looked at this the other day. I think several dozen cases have already come down in the district court level in federal court, and all but one of them have rejected the HHS's interpretation of the PREP Act. And I think only one court of appeals has thus far opined on the issue of whether the PREP Act completely preempts state common law tort claims such that it actually provides a, a basis for jurisdiction in federal court. And that Court of Appeals, I believe it was out of the Third Circuit, that court also sided with the vast majority of the district courts in concluding that it is not a complete preemption statute and it does not confer subject matter jurisdiction. So I think you're right, Jesse, that the language of the statute is very broad. Certainly the executive branch, both under the tail end of the Trump administration and also under the Biden administration, they've both interpreted it to the fullest extent possible to provide healthcare providers with, and just really employers and, and anyone to whom the statute may apply, uh, the broadest immunity possible. But federal courts have disagreed. So there's definitely um, tons of litigation on this. There's an appeal in the Ninth Circuit here pending. So this is not the last word, and there will certainly be lots more cases at higher levels that consider this issue. But to date, uh, I think it's fair to say that the overwhelming majority of cases have concluded that the PREP Act is not nearly as broad as the uh, HHS would, would like it to be. So that's an excellent segue into my next question, which is, you know, given the way that courts have interpreted it narrowly, if you're a healthcare organization or some sort of vendor or supplier, what specific legal issues are you thinking about so that you can at least try to take advantage of PrEP Act immunity in the future? So I think there's a lot of life left in this enactment. So the PrEP Act, it was originally enacted in 2005, and it authorizes the secretary of HHS to issue a declaration in response to a public health emergency and then identify essentially a la carte what applies within the PREP Act. And here, Secretary Azar and later Secretary Becerra, by adopting Azar's position and issuing additional amendments to that declaration, has enacted it to the fullest extent of the definitional possibilities within the PREP Act. 
So I think that there is a lot of opportunity still in place for public health and private health organizations to avail themselves of the PrEP Act. What I think that they should be looking for are situations and cases that are directly connected to the administration of countermeasures. And again, the the list of countermeasures is very broad. HHS has provided it. That is not an area that tends to be challenged too much, although we do see questions of whether blue nitrile gloves are considered countermeasures or whether or not certain face masks. There are arguments to be made in that area, but the core types of countermeasures, if you're administering a vaccine program, if there are use of, of NIOSH respirators, if there's testing that's going on, if there is harm arising out of the administration of such a program, or if you have engaged in such a program and an individual claims to have injury from that, that is an area that it appears that the PREP Act has largely not been tested outside the nursing home senior facility area and where the PREP Act may still have a lot of juice left, so to speak. So I think that healthcare organizations can look to this statute. There are a lot of opportunities for it to protect them. At the end of the day, it was reenacted here in order to encourage private organizations to get involved in the battle against COVID-19. HHS has made that very clear. It wants to protect them against lawsuits for negligence to the extent that they're engaged in providing covered countermeasures, either to the public or to their employees. What we haven't seen, however, and what at least I'm optimistic in saying is that when you have cases that directly involve the use of a covered countermeasure, and that has somehow resulted in the harm to an individual resulting from the administration or use of that countermeasure, we can see overall covering immunities from state and federal law claims. And just wrapping up our discussion today, if you could break down your chapter into maybe two or three important takeaways for readers and listeners of this podcast, what would those be? Well, I would say that the first major point is the PREP Act is very broad. It was drafted both by Congress and interpreted by HHS to be very broad. It is designed to protect for any claims for loss that have causal relationships with the administration or use of a covered countermeasure. And the list is long as to what a covered countermeasure is. Point number two is that it has further been broadly interpreted both through amendments and through advisory opinions by HHS to cover a range of individuals and a range of circumstances in which administration of use have been broadly interpreted. I would point out, however, that the courts have been largely reluctant to allow for the PREP Act to be a defense, a federally preemptive defense, and it's unclear whether or not they will allow it to be a defense further down the line on the merits, but they seem to be interested in interpreting it in a narrow fashion. Any additional thoughts on those points, Drew, that I may have missed? Yeah, I, I think just to piggyback on that, Jesse, is, is that most of the courts, as you said, that have analyzed the PREP Act have been federal courts, and the issue that's before them isn't so much does the PREP Act apply, it's does the PREP Act confer federal subject matter jurisdiction. So some of them have gone beyond that and said that even if it did confer subject matter jurisdiction on the court, we find that the claims plaintiff is asserting do not implicate the PREP Act. 
But by and large, many of these cases have just concluded that it's not a complete preemptive statute and they've remanded the case to state court. So there's not a lot of published authorities at the state court level on whether the PREP Act provides immunity. But just because these federal courts have concluded that it does not confer jurisdiction doesn't mean that the employer or the healthcare provider who's defending a lawsuit is going to be held liable. It will then just get kicked back down to the state court level. And in fact, just a couple months ago, I did find a, a case out of Connecticut, a state court case, where that court did conclude that the PREP Act provides immunity from suit and liability as well. So all is not lost. It's just the main issue at the federal court level is jurisdiction. And even if they don't have jurisdiction, that doesn't mean that the defendant can no longer avail itself of the statute, which, as Jesse indicated, is incredibly robust and for good reason, because it is to incentivize healthcare providers and employers and anyone to be safe and to provide PPE and look after their employees in the safest manner possible. I think that's what I would reiterate there is that the federal courts are construing this narrowly, but mainly on the jurisdictional point, not on the merits point. I'd like to thank Jesse and Drew for joining me today. We certainly appreciate them sharing their insight and expertise. And thank you for joining us for another edition of CyberArts Healthcare Beat Podcast, bringing you the latest developments and pressing issues in healthcare. So you'll never miss an episode. Be sure to visit CyberArts.com where you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or SoundCloud. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star rating and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. We hope you'll join us next time as we wrap up our special Future of Healthcare in the United States series and highlight key takeaways from another chapter in this publication. 